0: Please open your pew Bibles to Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. The passage is found on page 856. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Now hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. but if someone goes from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word.
1: This morning, Lord willing, I hope to cover verses 19 through 26 and we'll cover verses 27 through 31 uh, next week. Let's pray. Lord, we look to you. We thank you for um, teaching us about the rich man and Lazarus, and so I pray that as Jesus taught the Pharisees um, that uh, you would um, open our Ears and open our hearts. Help us not to be stiff necked and and unhearing like the Pharisees, but help us to uh, not only hear and receive your word, but like the man um, who, looking at himself in a mirror, uh, remembers who he is rather than going away and immediately forgetting. Help us, Lord, to look into your word and put it into practice. Because Jesus Christ is our master and our king, we ask in his name. Amen. You know, the Bible tells us quite a bit about what will happen to us after we die. For instance, there's John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and to those who have done evil, the resurrection of the judgment. The Bible speaks to us about the uh, death and resurrection, uh, typically from a theological point of view. Those who have been made righteous in Christ in their standing before God and have been transformed in their life so that they are Uh, doing good uh, and seeking to live a life pleasing to God uh, are resurrected to eternal life, while those who are outside of Christ, who live lives that are displeasing to God, will be resurrected, but they will be resurrected to everlasting judgment and damnation. For the most part, it appears that God is telling us to make sure that we are among those who are resurrected to life. And the practical details, they'll work themselves out. God will work them out. And he's not all that interested, or I should say that a little differently. He's not as concerned that we know the practical details. But in our passage we're given a rare peek into the practical details. For instance, in verse 22, we learn that for believers, angels carry us into heaven when we die. And it would appear that once we get there, there's a dinner party that is held in our honor. But for unbelievers, the process is very different. In verse 23, we are told that unbelievers are immediately cast into hell. And in some way, unbelievers, and this I've tried to figure this out, and I figure, well, it's better just to believe it than try and figure it out. But uh, we are told that unbelievers can see into heaven even though they will never uh, be able to be there. Verse 26 says that there is an uncrossable chasm that is fixed so that that it is impossible for unbelievers to ever cross into heaven. Even though unbelievers have not yet received a resurrected body and they are living in hell as disembodied spirits, it is still a place of physical torment, according to verse 24. In every moment... Of their existence is lived in agony. The rich man mentions his unending and intense thirst that is caused by what? He says that are caused by the flames. As we move through this sermon I hope to help us speak I hope to speak more about these practical details as they pertain to believers and And unbelievers. And I realize that some believe that the story of the rich man and Lazarus is just a parable, that Jesus is speaking in figurative language. And regardless, whether it's a parable or whether he's telling us a true story, Jesus is giving us real truths about time and eternity. Uh, John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, says, The Lord is painting a picture which represents the condition of the future life in a way that we can understand. The sum of it is that believing souls, when they leave the body, lead a joyful and blessed life outside the world, but that for the reprobate are, are prepared terrifying torments, which no more can be conceived by our minds, than can the infinite glory of God. To better understand uh, this story about the rich man and Lazarus, I want to remind you that this is part of a larger dispute that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. Uh, The dispute uh, started back in verse 14. Uh, where the Pharisees began to ridicule Jesus because they loved their money more than they loved God. Remember, Jesus said, you cannot love both God and money, verse 13. And they began to ridicule him in verse 14, because they loved their money. And the rich man who lived in opulence was totally indifferent to Lazarus, even though he would see him lying there at his gate, day after day, starving and suffering from uh, open wounds. And so Jesus, by using this story, is telling the Pharisees that they do not love their neighbors as themselves. Rather, they are self-consumed and only in love with their wealth. There is absolutely no defense for the rich man's indifference to Lazarus. The rich man's wealth, uh, as you look through the details of this passage and what was happening in their time and their culture, uh, we learn that his wealth far exceeded uh, the wealth of the regular rich folks. Uh, He was too rich to even live on Bayshore Boulevard. Uh, His everyday clothes were dyed in purple. Purple was the color of royalty. His everyday clothes he dressed like royalty, and purple dye was extracted from a sea mussel called murex. And from each mussel, you could only extract one drop of purple dye. Can you imagine how many of these mussels had to be brought up from the sea in order to dye his clothes purple? Uh, it's inconceivable how inex- how expensive his daily wardrobe must have cost. And the fine linen he wore, and fine linen is underwear. Uh, his, his underwear would have been in, imported from Egypt. Jesus tells us that he feasted sumptuously every day. In other words, this, this man was not your run-of-the-mill millionaire. And the Greek word for the gate where Lazarus was laid... Uh, every day to beg for food. The, The Greek word here for gate is the kind of ornamental gate that would only be found at the entrance to a palace. And in all his extravagant wealth, he could find no room in his heart for compassion toward Lazarus. He was so consumed by his wealth, so overcome with his pursuit of pleasure that Lazarus was not seen by him to be a person, but simply a nuisance that he wished would go away. In the ancient Near East, there was no government safety nets. There were no hospital beds set aside for those who could not afford to pay their bills. There was nothing. But in Jewish society, at least the community took uh, oversight for the poor. Uh, they were, uh, God wanted them to be better than the nations around them. The community was to care for the poor. The rich were expected to leave something for the poor. The farmers were told not to harvest around the outer portions of their fields, but to leave the gleanings for the poor so that they could come and get some food after the uh, harvest was over. Uh, it, would have, it would have cost the rich man exactly nothing to give Lazarus scraps from his table that no one else was going to eat. Uh, but even that was withheld. And it's likely the rich man did not want to give Lazarus any scraps because he did not want to encourage others to crowd his gate looking for scraps. And I think he resented that Lazarus was there. Everything about this man uh, was uh, was dedicated to opulence. Was to dedicated to uh, the pursuit of pleasure. Was dedicated to showing off his wealth. And there was this blight, this man with open sores, sitting there at his gates, causing a stain on his show of wealth compare the rich man to what we are taught in the scriptures first john chapter 3 verse 17 if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does the love of god abide in him john asks or james If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? The Bible says that we cannot please God without having a merciful heart. In verse 20, Lazarus is described. He was laid at the gate. He was too sick to walk but he had to be carried there. Uh, It's in the passive. He He was laid there. Presumably, he was carried by his family members to the gate so that maybe, possibly, the rich man might give him some scraps that had fallen from his table. His body was covered with sores. He was in such bad shape that he could not defend himself from the uh, he could not defend himself from the dogs that were licking his wounds. Some have argued that the dogs um, were doing some good, doing him some good uh, by licking his wounds. But as I read this passage, we don't get the sense um, that the dogs were doing um, much good, uh, but rather causing further anguish for Lazarus. Uh, does it, it does not take much imagination to consider how badly Lazarus must have smelled. He wasn't only just an eyesore. To the rich man, Lazarus was nothing uh, nothing more than an unwanted nuisance. The rich man was finally rid of his eyesore when Lazarus died. Nothing is said of Lazarus's burial. Uh, burial. Uh, maybe he was just cast onto the garbage dump. We don't know. But in, notice in verse 22 what became of his soul. Verse 22, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The idea of dying is a fearful thing to many people. Um, as Christians... We look forward to seeing Christ. We look forward forward to renewing those relationships with those who in Christ have gone before us into heaven. But the process of dying, well, that's unsettling. What will it feel like to die? What will we experience leading up to our death? What will we experience at the moment of death? One of our widows Uh, here at the church several years ago, was nearing the end of her life. And she was a strong believer, but um, was afraid of the sensation of not getting enough oxygen. And she would talk to me several times as um, as we visited together about that fear. We talked about it, we prayed about it during her final days, and finally one day I was visiting with her in the nursing home, and she brought up her fears again and we talked about it we read some scripture we prayed about it and she was getting tired and so i read some scripture and i left i had not gotten more than a a quarter of a mile away from the nursing home when her daughter called and said she passed away peacefully and i was so thankful um and praise God for how comfortably and quickly uh, she died. At my previous church, one of the elders uh, had gotten cancer. And it was a p- process of, of, um, of dying. And uh, the day he died, I arrived only moments after he had passed. And he was sitting there in his bed with this, this big, satisfying smile on his face. It was a little unsettling. But um, he passed into glory with, uh, with great joy and satisfaction that he was going to see his Savior. I want you to listen to verse 22 again. It says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The angels carried Lazarus to Abraham's side. We have a heavenly escort into heaven. You do not die alone if you belong to Jesus Christ. Jean Sherman is in her final days here on earth. I saw her this week and she was able to say two things in the times that we were with her. She said, she gathered her strength. She said, I love Bill more than anything else here on this earth. And then a little later, she gathered her strength. She said, I'm ready to die. As she takes her final breath, there will be unseen angels with her to accompany her into heaven. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Our passage says that the angels escorted Lazarus to Abraham's side. The older translations say that um, they they escorted him to Abraham's bosom. I always grew up thinking Abraham's bosom, that was the name of a place. I think uh, what's happening here is that the idea that there's a feast held in Lazarus' honor. And Abraham is the host. And so Lazarus is at Abraham's side. Remember, as we're preaching through Luke, if you go back a little bit to Luke 14, um, where everyone was clamoring for the position of honor at the host's side, because it was the position of honor at the table. Well, Lazarus is given the position of honor at Abram's right side they sat on the floor in the ancient near east around the table they didn't sit in chairs and they reclined on each other and and uh, Lazarus has this position of high honor he suffered he suffered unspeakably in this life but he was exalted in glory because he trusted God even through his afflictions and the rich man did not have Lazarus at his gate. But he, didn't ha- he did not have long to enjoy a Lazarus-free gate because soon after Lazarus died, the rich man died as well. You know, death is the great equalizer. As wealthy as he was, he died just like at Lazarus died. Whether we are rich or whether we are poor, None of us can escape the grave, but not everyone has angels to escort them into heaven. The rich man lived his life serving money, and his wealth could not uh, help him when he died. He went to Hades, which in this passage is a synonym for, uh, for hell. Verse 23 says that he had a conscious existence there. He was able to experience torment. He was able to look and see Abraham and see Lazarus far in the distance. He wanted just a moment's relief from his agony. Look at verse 24. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. He did everything he could to ignore Lazarus uh, while Lazarus was at his gate. But isn't it funny? He knew Lazarus' name. He saw Lazarus day in and day out but ignored him. And no relief was to be given to the rich man in his torment. In fact, look at what Abraham told him in verses 25 and verse 26. But Abraham said, Child, remember that that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner Bad things, but now he has been comforted here and you are in anguish. What a reversal. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So there's this uncrossable chasm between heaven and hell, and it is fixed. The purpose of the chasm is though that it is impossible for any traffic to go between the two places. Many people live their lives as if they can live with one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. They live as if there are no absolutes, that in the end they will find some kind of middle ground, but there is no middle ground. Our culture likes to live as if they can get by with their own special, unique truth. Everybody's got their own truth. And as long as they believe something is true, in some way it must be true. And that is utter foolishness. Every person who has died without Christ has seen that great chasm. And they, like the rich man, learned the bitter truth that that chasm is fixed, immovable for all eternity. And adding to the torment, what if you can see heaven from afar while you're, in, while you're in hell? Seeing loved ones or people you rejected or resented because they were Christians, seeing them enjoying the glories of heaven while you are left to suffer. In unspeakable torment. How terrible will that be? The chasm is fixed according to the perfect and infinite holiness of God. Um, and the holiness of God is expressing itself through God's unbending justice. No one can cross it. Even a Christian's mother, even a Christian's mother's love for her unsaved child will not allow her to go to the child, much less the child to her. Even Jesus did not get a free pass when it came to that great chasm. He did not find an alternative route into heaven after he was born here on earth. He didn't find some crossable forge down the way. He walked right up to that chasm And although he could have crossed in his own righteousness, he walked up to that chasm and he hurled himself into it, wearing all our sins and all our unrighteousness. He submitted himself to the full, to the unmitigated wrath of God while he was there on the cross. No one has ever experienced the intensity of wrath like Christ has experienced. When he went to the cross on our behalf, the holiness of God stoked the heat uh, of his wrath to an all-consuming hotness. The justice of God then bore down on God's wrath, compressing it, making it even more intense infinite holiness and eternal justice were combined together into a spear that was aimed at the very heart and soul of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, in whom there was no darkness, in whom there was no shadow of sin or wrongness at all from eternity past, except all our corruption all our unrighteousness that He bore in our place. He who knew no sin, Second Corinthians 5 uh, verse 21 tells us, He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. He bore the hot wrath of God in our place. He drank the wrath of God down to its bitter dregs. And in so doing, Jesus Christ became the bridge over which we cross to enter into God's presence. He became the bridge over which we cross to be adopted as his dear children. He became the bridge over which we cross to be cleansed by his blood. He became the bridge over which we cross to be transformed into new creatures in Christ. So that we love God more than anything else, including money. And he became the bridge over which we cross to enter into eternal life. Jesus likened himself to a bridge in John chapter 5 verse 24. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has crossed over from death to life. Have you passed over that great chasm through Jesus Christ? Once you you die, the way of escape is removed forever. Will your eternity be like that of Lazarus or like that of the rich man? There is no middle ground. There is no secondary entrance. Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. Come to Him now. Trust in Him if you have never trusted in Him before as we pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, give us a heart that loves mercy. Give us a heart that loves our neighbor as ourselves. Give us a heart that loves Jesus as, because he became sin for us so that in him we might be your children. Oh, Lord, work in and among us by your Spirit. If there are any here who do not know Jesus, work in them and bring them powerfully to Christ. Lord, there, if there are any who are who are suffering like Lazarus, help them to remember that as they trust in Christ here in this earth, In this world, they will be exalted in the next. Give them your special grace. Hold them close to your side. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.